The following is Voices of Experience radio show and podcast. No promotional fees are paid by authors or other guests who appear on the show. If you have comments or suggestions, call the Voices of Experience hotline at 425-653-1166. That's 425-653-1166. Welcome to Voices of Experience today on Kixie AM 880 and simulcast on KKNW 1150 AM. My name is Paul Casey. We have Eric Crema with us today. Hi, Eric. Hi-de-ho. And Eric Ryder with us today. Hello, hello. So here we go. Another show uh, on a beautiful day and looking like a beautiful weekend. Is there any better place to live <laughs> in the world than Seattle, Washington or you're not, in Washington. Not this weekend, there's not. It's amazing. Everett. I always saw Olympia, the, the Weather Channel. Bremerton. And the whole country's red except for a little half moon. Oh, over seriously? Se- yes. Is I, that it, smoke or both? It, is that- nine, it's like 90 plus, you know, in, in various places except for our little slice of heaven. Yes. Oh, pretty nice. Very nice. So um, just a couple things. One, I will make this announcement. I have... Uh, leading and starting the show several times, and that's our timeless classic. At the end of the show, mm. you'll hear the whole thing if you're listening to uh, Kixie, but part of it if you're listening to KKNW and my podcast. Again, that's copyright issues, but that's we have to play the game, so that's just fine. So just to let you know, we've got an interesting uh, timeless classic today because it's both a timeless classic and a one-hit wonder all at once. And a song I've never heard before, so I'm looking All forward to right. this. Okay, good yeah. to know. I'm wondering. We've stumped I was going Mr. to Ryder. ask about that. Yes, that's that's a really good to hear. So what else do we have? A uh, very good friend of mine, Bruce Amundsen. I went to Washington State University with him, and uh, we've been friends ever since. And uh, go to lunch together, do WSU activities together. And uh, he told me a story a couple years ago about Pete Carroll, the football coach. Mm-hmm. and. Uh, it has everything to do with not coaching football. It's Pete Carroll as a, a person. He told me the story about what he observed. He was at Warehouser then. He was saying the public uh, relations director there. They brought Pete Carroll in when he just got hired as football coach. Apparently there were like 400 employees there. And uh, Pete Carroll didn't charge money for it, but he had a book signing afterwards. And he asked you know, that people buy his book. Sure. <laughs> Something like that. So anyhow, it's an observation that he made while he was doing the book signing that I want to have people hear about today. Okay. Football season's upon us. But again, this is not a football story. It's something entirely different. I'm intrigued. Good. So you'll hang around. Heck yeah, I will. <laughs> good. <laughs> Eric Ryder hopefully will hang around. I yeah. want to hear this too. For sure. So good. Um, let's see. And also we have Mike Heavey. And this is recording I did earlier with him. He's the uh, former state senator uh, of uh, the state of Washington and King County judge. And he started a nonprofit organization called Judges for Justice. And what it essentially does is try to overturn wrongful um, uh, convictions. He's been very successful at doing that. And uh, it's stunning to me how many people are in jail, have been in jail, that shouldn't be there. I thought it was just maybe misjustice carried out maybe here and there, 
but it's amazing mm. how often this happens. So he's going to be uh, joining us uh, towards the end of the show today. Talk about that. Again, I've had him on a few times, but uh, this is such an important subject. And I would like to have people hear about it again. Our Timeless Classic, which we uh, talked about just a few moments ago, is from a South African band. And uh, there's confusion on the origins of the song, what they intended by the lyrics. I guess okay. that's what I'm saying. And um, so that'll be on again at the end. So Eric will hear it for the first time. So that'll be fun. I don't have anything for self-employment today, but if you guys have anything you want to ask me about, you're thinking about going into business for yourselves in the next six months or never, you can think of something <laughs> to ask me. Okay. I've got a question for you. Okay. And uh, the comedy clip today will be, and this is from Peculiar Podcast with Pat Cashman and Lisa Foster, speaking of lyrics, about song lyrics. And I think it's pretty interesting. It's pretty humorous, funny, and we're all uh, do the same thing. I mean, you'll you'll understand when you all hear right. it. We've, we've all done this. Let's put it <laughs> that way. Okay. And uh, so anyhow, now I give all that introduction. What's this show about? And people are going, I don't know. What, what is what this did I get? What did yeah. I get my radio on to? Right. Um, but it's essentially people with experience. That's who I like to talk about. All these people certainly do in public affairs, travel, fitness, education, entertainment, some comedy, and then, again, with an emphasis on entrepreneurship. So there you have it. That's the lineup for today. That's great. So uh, here we go. Good show. And if you want to call in anything that you hear, you can call the Voices of Experience hotline, leave a message. It won't be live. You're not calling into the studio. But if there's something you hear you want us to comment on next week or you want to make a comment and leave a message, we'll be glad to play it because we're going to talk about a few things that are about the realm and wanting to get some opinions about uh, various people around the area. You know, for example, traffic uh, lights and traffic signals that are being installed as we speak. So anyhow, we'll be back with uh, Bruce Amundsen in just a moment. Yeah, we had a chance to have uh, Coach Carroll come down and and talk to us at Warehouser to employees uh, about team building. And uh, this was before he'd coached any any games for the Seahawks, but there was obviously a lot of buzz around it, and people were excited. In fact, employees brought their children in and spouses, and there we had a a, a full uh, cafeteria. That's where we had the the assemblies, and the only. Uh, requirement was that we buy his book win forever because at that time it had just come out and carol was kind of going on a promotional uh, tour for that and so uh, we bought uh, copies for all the employees and asked if he would be willing to you know sign the books at the end and he said sure so after the assembly um, the, the employees lined up and and basically most of these signatures were very cursory it would be just be like you know what's your name Paul okay hey, Paul win forever Pete uh, and even at that it took probably 45 minutes to an hour to, to go through all of these uh, because there were so many people lined up and at the end Jason, who was our MC, came up to, to Carol and said, hey, would you mind doing a little extra um, inscription for a, a good friend of mine? He's been a friend from childhood, and 
we had a lot of great times together. We went to Seahawks games. We even played in the band and all sorts of things. And and unfortunately, uh, Sean had a, a situation that arose a few years ago, a complication from a surgery that has left him confined to a wheelchair. And and as such, he stopped going to the games. He stopped you know playing in bands, etc. It just uh, kind of become a little bit more of a recluse than he normally was. So he's essentially and, and right losing now, his will to live or not that may be a little strong but he was not doing well mentally at this time he had yeah he had just basically kind of withdrawn from the things that he really liked to do and then to add on to this he had a a, a new medical situation come up which required a transplant however due to his condition this was not just a slam dunk where he'd say yeah let's do it because if it was successful he'd have maybe five to ten years more of life. However, because of his situation, he could also die on the operating table. So this was not an easy decision for Sean to make. And so Jason just asked Carol, you know, would you do a little special inscription for him based on what I've just told you? And Carol said, sure, give me a book. So he starts writing in it, and he's about, I don't know, two, maybe two sentences into it. And he says to Jason, hey, do you have Sean's phone number? And Jason says, yeah, I've got it in my cell phone here. And so Carol says, well, give him a call. So Jason has the phone up to his ear, but Sean had a very loud voice, and you could kind of hear what was going on at the other end. So uh, he called up, and you hear Sean, yeah, oh, oh, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. And they talked a little bit, and then Jason said, hey, uh, Sean, I've got someone here who would like to talk to you. And so he hands the phone to Carol, and and Carol says, hi, Sean, this is Coach Carol. And you hear this, oh, my God, from the other side. You know, obviously, uh, Sean was very touched that uh, Carol was talking to him and excited about it. And and Carol starts uh, talking to Sean, and then he turns around and kind of, so he has his back to the rest of us and leans over. Uh, so he's doing this so quiet. he can have a private conversation with Sean. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Right. We can't hear we can't hear what he's he's telling uh, Sean. It's just, he's just bent over, and he talks to him. I would say, you know, five minutes. It was a it was a lengthy conversation, and we've done. Carol uh, kind of sits up and he says, uh, "I tell you what, Sean, I am going to give uh, Jason the number to my assistant, and what I want you to do is I want you to text my assistant." and tell him whatever decision you made on the the procedure. Are you going to have it or are you not? And I want you to know that whatever you decide to do it or not do it, it's the right choice. Okay, good luck. And so he hands the phone back to Jason, and and that's kind of the end of it. And that night, Jason calls up Sean, and they're talking about how neat it was to talk to Carol and all this sort of thing. And uh, Jason says, hey, Sean, out of curiosity, have you made a decision on the operation? And Sean says, yes. I'm going to do it, and I'm not going to let Coach down. I'm going to live. And so he has the operation. It is successful. He lives. He now resumes his his life. He starts going to the Seahawks games again. In fact, uh, he was at the games, uh, the seasons that they went to the Super Bowl. He starts playing in a little band again with Jason, etc., and regains his life, or as as much of it as he can in his situation. But much, much more, uh, you know, upbeat about life than he was before. Unfortunately, Sean has passed, but he did have you know an extra five years, ten years of life that he lived more fully. And, uh, you know, when, whenever someone says to me, oh, you know, Carol's a phony, or I don't believe some of this stuff, you hear them, uh, 
you know, say on the radio and stuff like that. I said, well, you know, let me tell you this story about about this. This was away from the media. There weren't people taking pictures of him. It wasn't staged that, that they knew he was going to call Sean. He didn't know Sean from Adam. He'd never met him. He could have very easily just said, yeah, sure, Jason, I will write five or six sentences here and, and sign it, and you can give it to to Sean. Instead, uh, he took the opportunity to have that personal interaction with Sean and to talk to him. And I, like I say, I would like to know what he actually told Sean. But obviously, he gave Sean the confidence to go ahead and make the decision to have the operation. And turned out it, it was a life-changing decision for Sean. Sure was. And I know when you told me the story, Bruce, prior to this, you told me a few years ago. And that is, you said when you kind of tell the story to anybody, you have a really difficult time holding back tears. Yeah, uh, this is probably the first time I've, I've gotten through it without tears. But yeah, normally I, I kind of get to the to the point where Sean says, uh, yeah, I made a decision, you know, I'm, I'm going to do it and, and I'm not going to let Coach down. It's it's obviously a very, it, it, it made us a lot of sense, a lot of impact on Sean and that, you know, he just said, I am not going to let Coach down. And I don't know if, you know, having that mindset when he went in to have the operation, if that helped him pull through and or, or what, but obviously, you know, he went in with, a very, very positive out, outlook, and it, it turned out well. Well, it certainly proves that Pete Carroll practices what he preaches. Like He writes about this, he talks about it, but he actually lives what he talks about. And that's the type of story that you told me that I think would show the side of Pete Carroll that I've kind of thought about him over the years, and it verifies that. And I guess that's why I'm doing the interview, because I've always thought he's a very decent man beyond his football uh, leadership. I think he's a great coach. He lives his values. When he was done speaking at our assembly, I, I would have gone out and tackled Marshawn Lynch. I mean, he is the guy that can really motivate you and uh, make you feel like you can accomplish almost anything. Okay, Bruce, I will pay thousand dollars to watch you go try to tackle Marshawn Lynch. <laughs> I think it's going to be more than that to cover the medical bills. But I, I probably shouldn't. I probably wouldn't go that far. But why these guys love playing for him and why he gets guys to to really give it their all. Well, Bruce, thank you so much for your time and sharing the story. Really appreciate it. Any thoughts from? Uh... Bruce Amundsen's uh, observations on that day. Well, I definitely wrote down a few things. Just the word civility, number one. I think that's way lacking in today's world. Um, you know, you just never know, regardless if you're famous or, you know, it's just someone like me walking the earth. You never know when those kind words are going to have a profound effect on someone's life. If you just stop down, you know, here's this man busy. He's new. He's got a full football team. He's at an event. And he took the time to stop down have a one-on-one conversation with someone who needed it right in that moment. I mean, what more can you say? That's amazing. Yeah, and if you recall, when he first got hired, there were a lot of people in this town who were not happy about it, as mm-hmm. I remember. And he came in, I'd say 60%, 70% of the people just did not uh, care for him, and they thought he wouldn't last. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I've, but that's what I'm saying. I've always felt that he's gone above and beyond. And he, again, what Bruce said is that he could have just said, here, done an inscription or whatever, but he's the type of guy I went, get him on the phone. I want to talk to him yeah. at that time to do it. And Great that, interview, just, Paul. Great interview. You said about uh, 
you know, him uh, living his values and, mm-hmm. and him doing it. Makes, so, anyhow, me, makes me love the team more. Right. <laughs> Go Hawks. Yeah. Go Hawks. Gosh, I think yesterday was their first day back uh, for practice, getting ready for the season. So it's upon us already. Unbelievable. Ready, though. Ready. By the way, speaking of sports, the Mariners won today 8-7 to seven over Minnesota. Oh. And that uh, was a good game. I didn't get a chance to watch it, but eh, maybe they're showing some life here. Anyhow, and the women's, uh, U.S. women's team play Netherlands, I believe, today. Okay. Uh, my wife says, don't bother me. From like six to eight, she loves soccer. So okay. And that's right. a pretty big rivalry, right? The Netherlands and the USA. They're definitely very good teams in their own right, so it's going to be a good match. Great. Go USA. Go USA. All right. We have coming up uh, Peculiar People, and that would be Pat Cashman, Lisa Foster, and they have a show called that, Peculiar Podcast. And I just got a slice of this. And uh, this is something we all do. We listen to songs. We sing to them the lyrics. So let's just get their take on it. I couldn't understand many of the words of, that Fogarty <laughs> was singing. And I kind of right. liked it. I thought, eh, I don't know yeah. what the words are, but it's cool. It's a cool yeah. song. And that was back in the day. Now you can just go online and find any lyric you wanted. But it was a real challenge back in those days to even try. We would record the song off of the radio with our little cassette thing. And we'd sit down and we'd play stop and write down the word we heard and play stop and write it down. That's how we got lyrics back then to songs. And now it's just so easy to get the lyrics and yeah. But it was hard back then. You didn't have any resource to find out what they were saying. Yeah. You kids today have no idea what it was like for us to search for important lyrics to songs. Yummy, yummy, yummy. I got love in my tummy. And I feel like a loving you. Love, you're such a sweet thing. Good enough to eat thing. And that's just what I'm going to do. Do you have do you have any respect for people who loudly sing songs <laughs> with incorrect lyrics and you know yes. they're incorrect? Yes, I do. And and you have contempt for those people? No, I do it all the time. I I love it. <laughs> Well, I, I told you the story. I told you the story about uh, Prince, uh, the little red Corvette song. And this yeah. again was back because I well, didn't that come out in the early 80s or uh, 1923. <laughs> it was I 1923. It so the, the, you could there was no way to find lyrics back then. And I remember I was in a. Uh, dance club. He, I'd go clubbing with my girlfriends in Marin County, and right. that song was very popular. <laughs> I didn't know what the name of the song was, much less what the lyrics were, but I did not hear Little Red Corvette. What I heard was Pay the Rent Collect, and I sang it at the top of my lungs, and um, Somebody said to me once, "Pay the rent, collect." You know that's not what that's not what they're saying. And I went, "Really? Because it sounds like that. that's what it sounds like to me." And they just rolled their eyes and walked away. So that's um, there. You go. I own that one. And yeah, my parents had a song. It's on an old '78 record. I don't know if you ever played any of those. I did. 
No. And I love to listen to their music, even though it wasn't my music. I was intrigued by these old big band songs and, mm-hmm. and the Sinatra and, and the like. Yes, yeah. There was a song called I'm in the Mood for Love. I'm in the mood for love Simply because you're near me Funny, but when you're near me I'm in the mood for love. And a friend of mine used to say, and I was, and I would try to sing it. You know, I'd go, "I'm in the mood for love," simply because my friends said, "No, you're singing it wrong. It's I'm in the nude for love." I said, "Are you sure?" I'm positive. Okay, and that's the way I sang, sing it. I'm in the nude for love. Well, that doesn't even make sense, that sentence. I'm in the nude for love. That doesn't even make sense. Well, you know, what am I going to say? I'm yeah, a kid. but it works. I probably was only 36 or so. I was very <laughs> naive. Yeah. Did you know if you're an adult living with asthma or COPD, getting sick with pertussis may result in severe complications? Pertussis, or whooping cough, is a serious respiratory illness. Vaccination is the best way to help protect against pertussis, Speak to your healthcare provider to ensure you are up to date on your Tdap vaccination. Learn more at lung.org. You know, I should have prepared myself better <laughs> because there are songs that yeah. I have done over the years where I do the same thing. And yeah. one of the things I've learned because I play a lot of songs from the 60s here. And I'd hear them back in the, you know, like transistor radio or those sure. small radios. And now that I update and have the much better quality of the songs that you can listen to on your iPhone and, and, and whatever, there are songs that I hear now, oh, I didn't know it was that before, all those years ago. I'm going to think <laughs> of a few when I come back next week. I'll yeah. come clean on a few of those because I'd like to think of some. Was it, I, it happens to me so frequently. I think there's almost... Many songs that I've done that to yeah, over the years. Same here. And I, I grew up with sisters, and they would be singing all the time. Same thing. We'd record off a cassette for them and try and figure out what the words are. I still can't figure out 90% of Bob Dylan lyrics, you know, unless I look them up. I'm not um, even going to try those. <laughs> I was listening to Lay, Lady Lay the other day, and I'm singing it. and I Okay, know, that's a great I, one. I knew about, like, 10% of it, and I just kind of fade away, you know, because I don't know the rest. But. And I go, why bother? Let's move on. Yeah, that's, that's very true. That's yeah. one of his most coherent songs. That's so, right. So. That's true. <laughs> Gosh, no kidding. I've I've only seen him once in concert, and that was enough. I think he's, don't get me wrong, he's an incredible artist. Yeah, and sure. What he's done to music all these years, it's amazing. You read the Beatles came to him, all of these people just adored him because of his what he did. But, hey, I just... Uh, don't want to work that hard, I guess. <laughs> uh, so anyhow, let's get to uh, Voices of History for today. And most of these actually happen today. For example, on July 26, 1775, the U.S. Postal System is established by the Second Continental Congress. Benjamin Franklin is the first postmaster. In 1789, there were 75 post offices in the country. Today, there are over 40,000. Wow. And they still have those same, I'll bet those 
same postal trucks, those white ones they had. They were running around in 1775, too. Those haven't changed. Exactly. <laughs> what was a stamp back then? <laughs> yeah. Like, they paid you. It was so low. Wow. I didn't even... <laughs> Good question. We'll research that. Yeah, right. The Voices okay. of History Interrogation or... In <laughs> investigation. Investigation. Thank you. And interrogation. On July 26, 1948, Harry S. Truman signed an executive order ending discrimination in the military... Truman's order ended a long-standing practice of segregating black soldiers from white soldiers and just relegating them to more menial jobs. That happened uh, just 1948. Talking to someone today, things are better today. We may be very cynical, but you look at women. Sure. How would you rather be a woman today and, or 1950 or today? Mm-hmm. Would you rather be a minority today? Long ways to go. Not saying that, it, that we've accomplished everything. Yeah. But you look at something like that and think about that, how horrible those conditions were then. Let's see, July 26, 1908, the FBI, Federal Bureau of Investigation, was born in the U.S. Attorney General Charles Bonner Partey ordered a group of federal investigators to report to the Department of Justice. In 1935, it became the FBI, actually. I didn't realize that. Um, I thought it was started in 1923 by, when J. Edgar Hoover. Hmm. But there's something there. i got to look into that a little bit more. Yeah, why is he synonymous with yeah, the FBI? With the FBI. I'm not sure. I, I, th- I thought it started then, but they're saying here, 1908. So I maybe know one of our listeners knows. I just, right. Yeah, so someone call on 425-653-1166. If you know, tell us. All right. Um, let's see. On July 26, 1941, President Franklin Roosevelt seizes all Japanese assets in the United States in retaliation for the Japanese occupation of French Indochina. Japan lost access to three quarters of their overseas trade and 88% of imported oil. When Roosevelt did that, I guess they looked at that as a declaration of war. And uh, what, uh, just several months later, that was the major reason why Japan attacked Pearl Harbor. And that was about five months later. Mm -hmm. What else? On July 23rd, 1962, the Telstar 1 satellite relayed the first live television images between Europe to the United States. Viewers in Europe saw the first time live black and white views of America including the Statue of Liberty, Mount Rushmore, and a live broadcast from Seattle's World's Fair. Wow. The Space Needle took center stage, followed by a glimpse of a Spanish flamingo, Hawaiian hula dancers, and a young boy enjoying a Belgian waffle. <laughs> wow. That's uh, come on. That's did you great. Know that? I did not know that. I did not know that. So the Space Needle is really just a big antenna. That's right. That's okay. right. That's why I got it started. Yeah. You'll, you'll learn that something Voices of Experience. You won't hear that anywhere else. Oh, that's great. But here, I can that's guarantee that. Might win a beer off of something like that. Yes. Or a waffle. Or a waffle. There you Bet go. Bet you a waffle. <laughs> yeah. On July 24th, 1931, approximately 10,000 breakfast lovers showed up in Chehalis, Washington, to enjoy platefuls of the world's largest omelet made from 7,200 eggs. It was uh, cooked up in a specialty 
white, eight-foot-long, and eight-foot-wide frying pan. Okay. And the event provided some light-hearted publicity for local egg farmers during the dark days of the Great Depression. So you're saying somewhere in Shehalis is a plaque. I would imagine about, there yes. would be. Hey, well, now if I you're hearing this from Shehalis, because this goes down. They can hear it maybe in the sure, south end. Sure. So if someone is driving in somewhere <laughs> in Shehalis and knows something about this. Take a pick. Here's the number again. Is there a plaque? Did you guys know it down there, that this was a big day? I am going to go. I'm not that far from Shea. I'm going to go down there and get an omelet. All right. I'm going to say I need to buy an omelet. In honor of that. Okay. Uh -uh. Who knew this was going to be a (laughs) breakfast-themed Voices of History? (laughs) Waffles. Omelets. That's true. Uh, So if you enjoyed this, (laughs) this day in history, it comes from courtesy of the History Channel. And uh, I've said it before, if you enjoy these at all. You can go to this day in history and get all these every single day. It's fabulous. And uh, also the more local ones come from historylink.org. So um, there you have it right there. So where do we go from here? We'll be uh, back in a few moments. I want to talk about traffic cameras. Gotcha. Have you memorized every public restroom on your way to work? Sat through too many meetings with horrible stomach pain? Is no energy your new normal? It's time to spill your guts. Urgent diarrhea, chronic stomach pain, and extreme fatigue can be signs of Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis. The Crohn's and Colitis Foundation can help you learn more and even find a specialist. Don't keep your symptoms to yourself. Get help today at SpillYourGuts.org. That's SpillYourGuts.org. All right, back uh, with Voices of Experience. Name is Paul Casey, and thank you for being here today on this gorgeous day in the Puget Sound area. I wanted to talk about something that the Seattle City Council did yesterday, and uh, let me just say what they essentially did. They uh, passed a bill that would allow the installation of automated cameras on certain roads in an attempt to prevent illegal street racing. I think we're all aware of that's happening around Seattle. I, I don't know if it's just a Seattle thing or it's happening everywhere else. But I think a lot of c- cities here locally are dealing with it. Right. I'm, I'm just saying, is this a King County issue? Is right. it going on in San Francisco or L.A.? Or is this just something here that good gee, question. we are yeah, very sure. um, pleased to have happening? <laughs> yeah, you know, right. like I live in West Seattle and we all knew, gosh, it happens down there and it's just awful. But um, they want to install these automated cameras and Apparently what they would do is video it to get the license plate number and they'll assign some sort of fine for this. I'm all for it. Um, And people say, well, this is privacy issues. Well, I've just got to remind people who say that. We've had these type of uh, automated traffic cameras that have been used in Seattle for about 20 years, over 10 years in school zones. I mean, I didn't get a ticket, but I did get a warning once. But uh, yeah, that had an effect on me. But I don't understand why people think you have to have a cop and a motorcycle or patrol call car, you know, we're shortage of them mm-hmm. anyhow, mm-hmm. sitting there and having to pull you over and then give you a ticket versus you can challenge the ticket if it's get your license plate right. the same way you would do if a patrolman pulls you over. And also I think it's dangerous when you have, uh, let's say, I'm getting off the subject here, I'm rambling a bit, but when you're driving up and down, let's say I-5, you 
get someone pulled over. And we've had that happen. You're looking and, and yes. you see the patrolman there and he's standing by the car. And I'm going, God, that's dangerous. It is dangerous. You know, so what the heck? So I'm, I'm all for installing them along Interstate 5 as well. Right. Um, and the state of Washington in the last legislative session made it possible for that to happen. They opened up the door for that. And, of course, a lot of people are saying privacy issues or whatever. So let me get back on topic here. I guess it relates. Sure. But nonetheless, we're talking about um, these cameras, and uh, hopefully it'll happen sooner than later. And uh, But uh, the speed cameras that they're installed, first of all, there's no budget for it. So they have to find the money to fund these, which I wish they would have done it both at the same time, but this is government. That's okay. But then the department will also have to conduct an analysis to address equity concerns around privacy and the potentially disproportionate effects of fines. Okay. Now, to complete uh, the thought on this, the Seattle Department of Transportation will discuss the timeline for implementation with the city's transportation committee starting on August 1st. Um, so what do you think, uh, reaction, anybody here, both Eric's, do you have any idea about what you feel about this? Well, I've never, never received a ticket from a camera. Have you, Eric? I have. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Apparently I ran a red light that okay. I didn't realize that I ran. And so I got that in the mail, uh, like a week later. Gotcha. Um, and, uh, there was video because uh, I was like, I didn't do this. And then I watched the video and sure enough, <laughs> it was me. Yeah. So really, now where did this happen? Uh, This would have been in five. In five. So they have it in five. When did the, and when about? This this is probably two, three years ago now. Wow. I think there's actually a camera at the end of the hill here, bottom of the hill, Mm. for that turn. Yeah. Um, So there, Bellevue has some cameras. Okay. See, you're educating me on this. So. Uh, I but think never, it's a great I, idea. I've never gotten a speeding ticket from a camera. That right. that would be something new, you know. Okay, um, so yeah. it's just been confined to the lights. What do you think about the speeding? I mean, when you look at it up by five, I go to Tacoma. I'm going tonight to the ball game. Yeah, and I come back uh, after it. Invariably, there will be a car going 100 miles an hour up I five, yeah. speeding past me like a bullet. Yeah, and it happens frequently. And I'm just saying, wouldn't a traffic camera? getting his license plate, giving him a pretty big fine for doing that, endangering people. Right. Who would be against that? I, I don't understand. I really don't. And people say government overreach and all that. But, yeah. I mean, I don't you, know. You committed the crime. You know, you did. If, if right. you're speeding and if, if everything's legit, you know, it's it's there. The evidence is there. Uh, certainly from a safety standpoint, I'd like to see that on the highway. Yeah. Uh, twice now I've had to, although Tacoma's beautiful, it takes me a lot longer to drive through downtown Tacoma down to um, uh, the what is the highway five hundred nine or whatever, and come up through Federal Way because sure. of crashes on Fife. And it's my suspicion that most of these crashes are reckless driving or speed, or maybe on your phone and just not paying yeah. attention. Sure. So, and again, I've been giving out the phone number quite a bit today. And if anybody has a contrary point of view, call four two five. Leave your opinion. We won't get it on today, but we could do that next week. If you have comments on this or again, anything we've talked about today, that number is 425-653-1166. Now, specifically, you're talking, though, about racing, street racing. And we've seen the videos. I think one just happened, what, last weekend up on Capitol Hill where the danger is not only to the driver and maybe a passenger in the car, but 
certainly the spectators. I mean, they they line this impromptu racetrack, if you will, and they're doing the donuts. And and these are not professional drivers. Their their equipment is not uh, professional grade. Anything can happen, including the death of, say, someone who's watching it. Uh, you had mentioned uh, West Seattle. Wasn't there an incident as well? Yes, on Alki, I think it was last weekend, a woman was seriously injured. Um, the car was going 80 miles an hour, and she was coming around the other way. I think she was going um, westbound. car hit her, and she went into the water. I mean, I can't believe mm-hmm. that she flipped into the water, and some really good Samaritans jumped in and risked uh injury themselves and pulled her out. And I know she's in extremely serious condition. I don't have an update, though, on that, though. But yes. Yeah. And I think it's just perception. This is not a right to drive a car on a highway. It's it's actually a privilege. That's why you have a license. That's sure. why, you, you know, this is not just, hey, just grab some keys, get in the car and go. It's right. your constitutional right. No, we've set parameters to ensure safety, or at least the guise of safety on the highways, right? Is that, this just one more thing? Right. And- We've had skyrocketing uh, traffic deaths in this state this last year. We are, I think, already at 700 and some odd uh, deaths. And uh, you go back. I may be wrong in the numbers here because it's dangerous and you do this from your memory totally. But <laughs> it, the it's fairly close. But we had a lot of traffic issues before seat belts and you know, a lot of those things, uh, you know, came into the city, the airbags and the yeah. public services and the making the windows a lot safer. All of those things came in and the traffic numbers of people seriously injured. Oh, and then, of course, uh, drinking and driving, yeah. all that yeah. brought really, uh, and they worked, essentially. Mm-hmm. And we drove traffic accidents down considerably. And I believe maybe, oh, Maybe 15 years ago, it was down to 450 people in the state of Washington. And it was a high of maybe 700 or 800 back in the 60s, 70s every year. The population's much bigger, but we were going down. Now we're back up to heading to 800 now. So it is really a lot more prevalent. More people are dying again. It's, it's not something to uh, take lightly. I well, think. and cameras might solve other things as well. We just had this in the little town of Gorst happen, I think it was yesterday, the day before, where two people were racing. They were not from the area, but they were both heading uh, west on Highway 3, or I guess it'd be north on Highway 3. And it turned into a road rage incident where the one did a U-turn, the other one followed, they pulled over, the one got out of the car, 68-year-old man, and was immediately shot in the head by someone who was 26 who then sped off. Oh, God. Now, I don't know where we're at on that in terms of did that person ultimately get arrested and found, but a camera in that situation may have helped, right? We use it for traffic. Yeah. Uh, You use it a lot, right, for your announcements, you know, as to what's going on with traffic. So I don't know, Paul. I don't know. It's uh, It seems like something that is needed, and why it's not happening faster, I don't know. So anybody call in on this, I uh, would love to hear from you and uh, you know, just to see. It's pretty serious. So we'd like to see if there's anybody who wants to weigh in on that. So uh, why don't we go to now the interview I had with uh, Mr. Uh, Heavey, and this was uh, about three weeks ago or so, and we're talking Judges for Justice, and what he is attempting to do is to really get to the bottom of so many false imprisonments, imprisonments, that right word? Yeah, it's that's close. A word. That's a okay. word. <laughs> right. And said at the beginning, it's staggering 
how this situation continues to go on, and he's trying to do something about it. How does this happen? The National Registry of Exonerations, which you can get if you Google it, maintained by the University of Michigan Law School, it's approaching 3,000 exonerations. And that's just not people that are been released from prison. That's where some judges basically dismissed all charges against them. They're exonerated. At least 124 were on death row. How that happens essentially start with a shocking crime. And then it goes from there. You have a 18-year-old young girl, bright future, who is stabbed 14 times in her sleep and then sexually assaulted. How does that happen? That's what happened to Angie Dodge in 1996 in Idaho Falls, Idaho. You had a lot to do to getting the perpetrator at the time, or at least thought they were, found not guilty or actually exonerated. We were actively involved in that. Some people think we were the prime reason why Chris Tapp, who spent over 20 years in in prison, was released. And then eventually he was exonerated when they found the real killer. You laid out really well what is called the power tools of noble cause corruption. Can you describe what you mean by the uh, noble cause corruption? It's a big topic. (laughs) Canada had three egregious wrongful convictions in the 1990s. They studied it. And they came up with a leading cause of wrongful convictions. I think it is the primary cause. It's called tunnel vision. It's perverse byproduct of noble cause corruption. Police and prosecutors uh, engage in what is called noble cause corruption. And then the next question is, well, if there's no real evidence, how do you get a conviction? Well, that's what we call the five power tools of noble cause corruption. Often these cases start with a false confession and then a coerced confession. And another thing that happens is they feed this information, and that's wrongful, by the way, uh, to the press. And the press fuels the community's fear into anger at the defendant. And then there are dubious witnesses. And in the Chris Tapp Idaho case, there was uh, uh, the police woman by the name of Destiny Osborne claimed that Chris Tapp had talked about the murder. She now says the police coerced her into saying that at the trial. Often evidence forensics are ignored or manipulated. And in the Chris Tapp case, It was everybody knew that the male DNA left at the crime didn't match Chris Tapp. That's where I find it incredibly scary. The DNA doesn't match, but they still go ahead with it. And that's kind of unforgivable. And people participate in that. My frustration or partook in that sort of of manipulating the DNA or not using it. Penalty should be they serve the time. Yeah, I'd like to see that. The reason Canada studied wrongful convictions and how to prevent them is that they saw not only did they ruin the life of another human being by wrongfully convicting them, putting them in prison, uh, defaming them. Can you imagine 
Amanda Knox. I mean, a lot of the world thinks she killed her roommate. They still do. <laughs> and they still do. And, I mean, people that are knowledgeable understand that she's totally innocent. But that, you know, she spent four years in an Italian prison. How do you get back? Most of us are unremarkable. We go through life without any, and yet she get, becomes remarkable, and she becomes known for something she didn't do. Amanda Knox is one of the most creative, loving, and responsible people I know. She's absolutely innocent. And there's also blind forensics in the power tools. The Norfolk Four, four sailors in Norfolk, Virginia. Central Park Five, although not murder, but the convictions for the five 15-year-olds, black kids in New York City. Point being is there's all these cases. Chris Tapp in Idaho, obviously Amanda and Raphael in Italy. The three guys that were convicted in Hawaii, they were all convicted of rape and murder, but none of them matched the male DNA left at the scene. When I was reviewing the Central Park Five, if there's an example of inflammatory media, it's there. You have the mayor of the city saying they're guilty, they're scum, they're this, or whatever words he used. I mean, this is incredible. That was countrywide. Amanda Knox was worldwide. By the time you get to trial, whether it's just your community that's enraged against you or the entire country or the entire world, you're convicted before you get to trial. It doesn't really matter if, there, if there's any evidence, it seems. And one of the things back to what you were talking about in Canada that you had on your site is that Canada, you know, essentially has one jurisdiction throughout the country, whereas we have different, what, 3,000 different prosecutors. There's 3,143 counties in the United States or equivalents. Louisiana, they call them parishes. Each one has an elected prosecutor, a politician. And when they get a wrongful conviction, they're not really worried about, uh, in their midst, they're not really worried about how to prevent them in the future. Canada was able to step back and say, hey, let's learn from these huge mistakes. It's like when a 737 crashes. We don't ignore it. We get the NTSB and we try to figure out what happened. But we've never done that in the United States for wrongful convictions. Now, what I want to do is uh, talk about Dana Iron a little bit. I had you on the radio show about three or four years ago. We were talking about that case in Hawaii. And there was a major breakthrough in that case, again, thanks to your efforts to make that happen. But describe again briefly, if you would, the Dana Ireland saga, the release of the individual or one of them that, again, when you went through the whole process, DNA not on the site of the murder, but then this man was in jail for, what, 20 years, uh, Mr. Schweitzer? Yes, about 23 years. It's uh, 1991. Dana Ireland is riding her bicycle on the big island of Hawaii, and she is run over, drugged under a motor vehicle for over 100 feet, picked up, taken to another location where she's sexually assaulted and left to die. She eventually dies of her uh, injuries. But again, a shocking crime. My God. A uh, 23-year-old young lady run over, brutally murdered, kidnapped, sexually assaulted, raped. And for, anyway, suspicion for a number of reasons fell on three men, Frank Pauline, Albert Ian Schweitzer, and his younger brother, Sean Schweitzer. All three were innocent, but it was a classic wrongful conviction. 
on our website, judgesforjustice.org, the main thing on the homepage right now is our documentary, 14-episode documentary called Murder in Hawaii, Why Wrongful Convictions Happen. Essentially, if you go to our website, you can watch each of the 14 episodes. Most of them are pretty short, 11 minutes to 27 minutes. But they explain the case in detail, and uh, one of the innocent men was murdered in prison in uh, 2015, and the only one remaining in prison was Albert Ian Schweitzer. And on January 24th, uh, last January 24th, uh, 2023, he was... uh, released and exonerated. We are back now. Are we ready to rock and roll again? Yeah, there's the music, okay, the magical here we music. Are. Caught us off guard. It's such a beautiful day. We were looking outside. Well, that's the danger of really liking our own show, or your show, I should say, is that we talk about it in the break. So we're, right. That's we're, what we're, we're doing, we're, actually, we're getting talking. caught up in that. <laughs> so you had a question for me before we head yeah. out here. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm 55, and actually, I'm sorry, 56, just had a birthday, and I'm kind of thinking retirement, but I don't want to just sit on a couch. So I'm thinking, uh, and I don't like golf, so maybe run my own business. Not a huge major business, but just a small business. Would you even recommend that in retirement? Yes, from a, n- a number of reasons, uh, and I do read about this quite a bit. Uh, first of all, the fastest growing number of small business owners are people over 55. Really? Yep. Okay. Okay, there you go. Then Now, that could be, let me clarify that, percentage sure. of people open up their businesses. So it's huge. Uh, number two, I don't suggest anybody just retire the traditional Retirement, even if you like golf, how much golf can you play? Mm. So not only is it good and productive to do that and maybe obviously bring in some extra income, but it's also really good mentally, it's good physically, and it's good on your longevity. There's no doubt about it in my mind that staying active, your mind, you know, we talk about dementia, we talk about things. And from what I've learned talking to doctors and things about this quite a bit, is that if you don't use your muscle in your brain, it's going to, you know, it's like anything else. You let your, you're not working out every day mm-hmm. or not at all, or you just not very frequently, you lose your muscle mass. You lose it. It's the same with your brain. Gotcha. So it's good to stay there. I would say that, um, you know, depending on your lifestyle, you want to travel, you want to do a lot of other things, you can incorporate that into it. And I would look to maybe your first step is into maybe a franchise. Okay. Find out a need in a community that is not there. As I said, I've talked about there's always, the first thing you should do is find a niche and fill that. That's not being met. So you live in, you know, the Gig Harbor area. Mm -hmm. I talked to someone years ago when she was uh, trying to start a business and she noticed that she wanted to get the business because up and going a, a print shop because she tried to get something printed. And there was nothing there. So you look around and find that stuff. So gotcha. I think that's a good thing. But absolutely. Okay. Thank you. That's great information. Well, this has been a wonderful show. Yeah. Great A lot interviews. of fun. And uh, yes, too bad. We're out of time. But it went very quickly, as it always does. And I uh, want to thank again uh, Bruce Amundsen for spending time with us. And of course, Judge Mike Heavey, uh, what he would, did and, and talked about Judges for Justice. Uh, next week, Eric, you have a spotlight. And that is what? 
I do. So um, I met this gentleman at a function, a radio function, and he works for Best Day Brewing. His name's Sean Clancy. He's a marketing manager, but he's super knowledgeable about all the trends that are going on in the adult beverage business. Okay. And um, one of the things he talked about was just how popular non-alcoholic drinks are becoming. Mm-hmm. And I was blown away when he started talking about all the different brands and styles and beer and hard liquor. And, and even bars sometimes are, are coming uh, coming together to be just strictly non-alcoholic. So I found it fascinating. I interviewed him, and it was a good interview. Look forward to it next week. So we have to go for now. Um, thanks to Eric Ryder. Again, working the boards and uh, Benny Mathers helped put this all together. Quote of the week. A statesman sacrifices himself for the nation. Let me say that again. A statesman sacrifices himself for the nation. A demagogue sacrifices the nation for himself. Brett Stevenson. This week's Timeless Classic and One Hit Wonder coming up next. This week's Timeless Classic or One Hit Wonder, it could be either, was released in 1968. Now, this is a song that many of you, I think, have not thought of for a very long, long time. But then you're going to go, I remember that. Very interesting. It's kind of a little haunting song, though. It was released by a South African band, and the song was interpreted by some that it was asserting the right of individuals to their own independence and railed against apartheid and the white ruling party of South Africa elected in 1966. The official story, however, is different. The song tells the story of a laborer who works diligently for this master for years and years and then decides to go out on his own and exercise his own desires. From 1968, Master Jack by Four Jacks and a Jill. It's a strange, strange world we live in, Master Jack. He taught me all I know and I'll never look back It's a very strange world and I thank you, Master Jack You took a colored ribbon from out of the sky And taught me how to use it as the years went by To tie up all your problems and make them with me And then to sell them to the people in the it's a strange, strange world we live in, Master Jack. He taught me all I knew and I never knew why. It's a very strange world and I thank you, Master Jack. I saw right through the way he's not a teaching me now, so someday soon. 